Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord, and welcome to wonderful, cold, 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 Blossomore, Illinois. Ooh, it's cold out here. I've been in the house all day, but welcome to the Word on Wednesday. And I, hey, how you doing, mother-in-law? Hey, Donna. Hey, Sharon. How y'all doing out there? Um, I am so blessed tonight to have a roof over my head, a working furnace, and plenty of clothes, and space heaters, too. It is cold out there. But anyway, we're not going to prolong the hour talking about how cold it is. Everybody know how cold it is up here. But anyway. What we want to do tonight is we want to continue our study, and we are at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're at verse 12, and we're at the B portion. So before we go any further, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, I need you to hit the share button. My son's been coaching me. Hit your share button to invite others to join into the Bible study. Two, Make sure you, if you've got questions to put them on the screen, especially toward the end when I ask for them, because then I can really see them. Thirdly, for those of you who are listening on Blog Talk Radio, the call-in number for your questions or comments is 929-477-2304, 929-477-2304. This is the discipline that my son is teaching me uh, because he says that I, if I do this every week, like I'm supposed to, at the beginning of the, um, the, the broadcast, that it's more beneficial for everybody. So, again, hit your share buttons. Uh, Blog Talk Radio, 929-477-2304 is the call-in number. And for Facebook Live listeners and viewers, what I want you to do is make sure that you put your questions and comments up and hit that share button. I I think I got everything now. Okay, good, great. Now let's have a word of prayer, and let's begin right where we left off last week. Eternal God, our Father, God, how we thank you and how we praise you. How we thank you for this technology tonight that we can gather around without having to come outside in that awful, awful weather. We thank you, God, that we can feel it, that you provide it for us, that there are roofs over our heads, that our furnaces are working well, that, that all is well with us. But, God, we're not so selfish and that we forget about those who are less fortunate than us. Our prayer, God, is that you would minister to those who are in, in lesser situations than us, those who are in homes that, that don't have enough heat, those who are in situations where they're outdoors. We pray, Father, for all the ministries and all of the people and all of the social service agencies and even the kindness of strangers that, that minister to them tonight. God, keep us mindful of the least of these and and keep our hearts bent toward them so when we see and come upon them that we don't just walk past them or or just just say, ooh, I'm glad that's not me. But instead, 
we'd be like that Samaritan who's along who walked along Jericho Road that day, and and with kindness took that wounded person to a place of safety and ministered to them. God, we bless you and we praise you. Keep us mindful of that. Now help us in our study tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so when we left off last week, we left off at uh, verse 12. Let me just, a quick review. The verses 1 through 12 dealt with uh, the question, and the whole chapter deals with the question that was asked of them, is it good that a man not touch a woman? Now, in the NIV it says, it is good for a man not to marry, which I don't know how they got to that translation, but basically what they're talking about is the relationship between man and woman. And Paul, as I mentioned last week, um, what Paul says throughout this whole chapter, and it's the key to this chapter, is however, whatever situation God found you in, stay there. So basically he's saying, if you're married, stay married. Now, on the outside, there's also one other thing that's going on in this chapter, and that is that there is a, um, a philosophical war going on within. The, we're at, um, we're at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'm catching, uh, we're going to start at uh, verse 12, but I'm doing a, a brief recap of 1 through 11. Okay, so again, what what basically he's saying here is that whatever situation that God called you in, where he was when you when he found you, stay in that situation. Now, he, in verse 11, or verse 10, rather, he basically shows you, he basically shows you that the things that he has been saying up to this point are from the Lord himself. And that that forced us to go back and look at look at what God had said, what Jesus said concerning marriage, and we found that over in Matthew chapter 19. And I'm going to turn back over there because as I looked at it, you know, I you know, I read it last week too, and with you guys. But there's a couple of interesting points that you know that were there, and I'm not going to expound on them. I just want to point them out to you. So you can begin to pray over them. And the reason why I'm not going to say anything hard and fast on them is because I don't know. But it just, it kind of it kind of got next to me a little bit when I read it. And each time I read it, it's like I'm asking the Lord, so what is this being said right here? And I'm going to need some time to research it. But I want you praying over it too because in the end, and it's Matthew chapter 19. Um, did I go too far? Yes, sure did. Matthew chapter 19, and if I get there, here, here we are. Matthew chapter 19, and I'm going to start reading that verse. Verse 4, they were asking about marriage. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his wife, his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, 
what God has joined together, let man not separate. Stop for a second. Now, what's, what he, when he says that, now Paul has basically says, he, Paul basically in those first um, uh, segments, he's basically saying to them that, you know, he's, he's reinforcing what the Lord has already taught. Then um, he says, the question comes up, why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. It's those, verse 11, Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word. From that point on, I'm like, I've got a why. Why did he say that? Why did he say that? I know what, what the rest of this means, and even though I don't want to go into it, one of the things that was happening back then, and 19.1 through 19.8, was that what was going on in this passage is the question that being, it was being asked was, can a man divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, what, they were, what was underneath that why was that men were divorcing their wives because they saw somebody else that they, that they, want, that they liked better. It wasn't because the wife had done anything or, or had done anything that, that, that got on their nerves or nothing. No, they just had them something else in the wing, and they, they, they knew that it was wrong for them to have somebody on the side. So what they would do is kick their wife to the curb by giving her a, a certificate of divorce and then keep on going. And Jesus is basically addressing that situation. But... When it gets down to the other part, there's more there. And I believe that, that, that we need to really dig into that. But we're not studying Matthew right now. We're studying 1 Corinthians. But I just wanted to bring that part to your attention because there's something there. And maybe, maybe in the future when we do Matthew, we'll get to it. And if, if I find it, I just might you know, just double back and tell you later on. But that's something there. Okay, so now, so, so far... In the, in the first 10 or 11 verses, what he's doing is he's saying it's the Lord's command. Why, is he, why does he put that in there? Because what he's talking about is their new situation in Christ. And so he's saying, look, remember early on he says, I ain't baptized none of y'all. None of y'all represent me. None of y'all are doing my will. You are doing the will of the Lord and as ambassadors for Christ and taking on what he has told you to take on, this, these are the commands that he gives concerning marriage. Okay, we got that. Now, so let's go to verse 12. 
To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. You see what he's saying there? Now he said, first of all, he teaches what Jesus has said, and then he begins to address the situations that they're now facing. And watch how he faces, watch how he addresses them. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Stop right there. Let me, um, let me reword this, this, this little part for you. When he says that the unbelieving wife, husband or the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through the believer, what he is teaching is a, um, a, a, a Jewish concept that says that if something that is holy touches anything else, it becomes holy. Now, that word sanctified here means set apart for, the, for God. So basically what is they're saying is that that believing person who has set himself apart, who has been set apart, excuse me, by God, also sets his family apart for God. Now, does that mean that that husband is automatically holy? No. It just means that he is in a position or she is in a position to observe, observe and be witness to, just like the children, they get a head start on holiness. So when you come and when, when you're, you know, um, this gets into uh, the, 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 the Catholic concept of infant baptism, meaning that if you are born into a, uh, a, a saved household and you get baptized by the church, then you're saved. No. Uh, evangelicals, Protestants don't, most Protestants don't believe that. We believe that you have to have a confession of faith for yourself that being being the son of a preacher or being the the daughter of, of a preacher does not make you saved. No, it just makes you the son of a preacher or the daughter of a preacher. That's it. You have to confess. The word says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Every man for himself for salvation. Okay. So we got we got I, I want to make that plain. But what it does mean is that there is a set-aside and a nearness and a uh, advantageous position. You are in an advantageous position for salvation because you are seeing the works of God modeled in front of you every day. Okay, got that? But now, so he says, you don't divorce them. Now, it, it, why is this applicable for us now? Well, because a lot of times when when a, a partner comes into salvation, 
And if you come into salvation and your partner doesn't, you're looking at him and the first thing that you think is, you know, I got to get away from him. I got to get away from him because they're going to live like this and I can't live like that anymore. But what does it say? Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Why should you stay where you are? Because you are that person's witness. You're that person's vehicle to salvation. God saved you in that situation, and he knew when you got saved where you, go, where you were going to be at. That's your assignment. It's that simple. And what the devil wants to do is the devil wants to do something to you and to that individual by, saying, by planting that thought that it's time for you to get up and get out of there and leave that person. And there's double damage done there because, number one, you're tearing what God has put together. That's number one. And number two, you're also tearing apart that house, especially if there's children involved in it. So you don't want to do that. You don't want to give the devil that opportunity to sow the seeds of chaos in your life. Amen? So now, but if the unbeliever leaves, I'm at verse 15 now, but if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? That's what we just talked about. Whether you will be the instrument that God uses to open up the person's eyes to bring them to salvation. Verse 17, nevertheless, each one should, what is it? watch this, watch this, stay where you at. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Now watch this. Now when we get to verse 18, when we get to verse 18, there's some, there, he's, going to, he's going to really show us something right here. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Wait a minute. So what was happening here? You had an attack that was coming from the left and from the right. You had the Judaizers that were basically trying to sow seeds that said, look, if you're going to get saved, if you're going to really, really be saved and really be a, a member of the community of God, then you need God's mark on you. You need the sign of the covenant on you. And the sign of the covenant, according to Old Testament teaching, was the mark of circumcision. But now what Paul is, Paul is not fighting against his Jewishness, nor is he fighting against circumcision. What he's saying is, you're not a part of that covenant. You're no longer under the law. You're under grace. And because you're a member of the new covenant, the circumcision that you receive is a circumcision of the heart. It is a circumcision that is not made by uh, the cutting away of flesh, but instead it's the cutting away of the flesh of the heart. You see that? 
You see that? That's why he says circumcision or going back into that old way is not the way. And those of you who have already been circumcised, you don't have to undo that. No. Mm -mm. Again, it's not what happens in your flesh. It's what happens internally. Okay? Circumcision is nothing, verse 19, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. What does Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Each one, verse 20, should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Again, do you see the repetition of that? Stay where you are. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although, if you can, gain your freedom. Do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were brought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Do you hear echoes of Galatians speaking here? Hmm. Brothers, each man, as responsible to God, should do what? Should remain in the situation God called him to. So, your new circumstance does not call you to make changes within your life that will take you out of where God called you, but instead, by staying there, it will enable you to let God work through you in that situation where you've been planted or where you've been called. Do you see what he's saying? Because, what's, again, there is a fight going on from a lot of different directions. Satan is sowing the seeds of dissension in Corinth, and what Paul is doing is Paul is going through, and he's pulling weeds out as fast as he can. He's pulling the weeds of asceticism. He's pulling the weeds that come from the libertines. He's pulling out the weeds that come from the discontent and the new uh, of marriage, uh, where people are thinking that you know what I can gain higher spirituality if I am not bound in a relationship. No, 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 no. Paul is coming in and he's saying, "Stay where you at. Stay right there." God can bless you right where you're at. Let me keep going. Um, verse 25. Now about virgins, virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. See that advice coming through there again? Stay where you at. Now, this time, it's because of the present crisis. What is the present crisis that he refers to? Paul is aware that we are in the end times. Paul has a view of what God has done and will do, and he is expecting any minute for Jesus to return to the earth. He, uh, uh, and so he is saying, look, any moment we're up and out of here. 
We've got a period of time where we can serve the Lord. And so our total focus should be on the Lord. So he says, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Now, now sometimes, you know, people use this as an excuse to not make the commitment to marriage. They say married, even the, the Bible says that when you get married, you're going to face many troubles. If you're unmarried, you're going to face many troubles. Marriage is God's plan. And what he's specifically talking about here is he's talking about the circumstances, the pressures that they're under from without, not from within. And when I say without, the pressures that come with them as they fight to advance the kingdom of God, as they press forward to serve the Lord. Paul isn't thinking like a soldier now. If, or, 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 and this, this will make it easier for you to understand. When you're in a fight, and all, it's just you in that fight, you can concentrate on that fight. But if you've got a wife or you've got a husband and both of y'all are in the fight, why are you fighting out of one corner of the eye? You're looking over there to see how he's doing in his part of the fight or, or if he's getting his head whooped in or whatever. And you mess around and you're so busy worried about him that you mess around and take a right. When if you've just been focusing on your fight, you could have whooped that joker. But instead, you're concerned about that your partner. And what he's saying, what Paul is trying to say is you can have a singular focus on your mission, on this fight to advance the kingdom, if you are not obligated to watch out for your other half. That's, what, that's all he's saying here. He's saying so. And I want, that's the trouble. So you, one way or the other, one way or the other, married or single, life is no cakewalk. You're going to face trouble. For me, I'm so glad I'm married, I don't know what to do, because guess what? That woman got my back, and she will fight the stuff that I can't see. So when you're looking at that, don't look at it as, as marriage is a burden. Marriage is a responsibility, okay? Verse uh, 29, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. Remember what I said? He's expecting Jesus any minute. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not, as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if they were, if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. You see what I was saying earlier? So he wants us to have a total kingdom focus. Keep going. I would like you to be free from concern. You see, that's, that's, that's the explanation that I gave you already. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. 
An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Focused. If anyone now, I, I want to I now start a new uh, start a new thought here. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she's getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about people who are engaged to one another, and now this guy, this person is thinking, you know what, is it right that I go through with this marriage? That's what he's saying. Is it right? Will the Lord bless this marriage, or should I not get married at all? He says, he could do what he should do what he want to do. That's plain and simple. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right. But he who does not marry her does even better. A, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he, he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. A couple things real quick. Number one, so it's your choice. It is your choice. It is your choice to marry or be totally devoted to God. And what he's explained earlier is that you have divided attention there because uh, the two shall be one. And so y'all got to work that thing out as to how y'all going, you know, learn to be one together. And there, there's going to be some friction there, and there's going to be some divided attention. It's that, it, it just as plain, and it works the same way today as it did back then. If you're, and, and he ends up by saying that one, if, if your husband dies, you can remarry. You can remarry. As a matter of fact, you'll see later on in, uh, I think it's Timothy, where um, Paul is basically saying, look, to the widows, to you who've lost your husband, uh, it's been, it, you, can, you can go and get married. Go, go. As a matter of fact, he says, it is good for you to go on back and get married. Yeah, because, again, the obligation, a lot of people think that, you know what, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. It's not true. The word doesn't say that you have to stay single if your husband dies. No. Mm-mm. And again, uh, the, the, the portion that I was telling you about in, with, with divorce, that was a specific situation where they were divorcing for any reason, and the reason specifically that they're talking about there is kicking your wife to the curb for another woman. You got a wife, 
and you got a woman in the wings. And so you kick that woman to the curb, and Jesus said, uh-uh, no, that's not, that's not the way that works. So we covered the question uh, of the beginning questions of marriage because it will come back up again a couple more times uh, because, again, there were so many different philosophies that were going on there, and he's trying to, to, to basically guide them through this partic- these particular philosophies so they can understand who they belong to, the behaviors that were, that were necessary, and to not fall in or burden themselves down with more traps. Verse 39, is it a sin to remarry if your mate is still alive? No. 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 And uh, I'm going to say a qualified no. I'm going to say a qualified no. And the qualified no is that if you look at that passage in Matthew chapter 19, if you look at the passage in Matthew chapter 19, he was dealing with a specific version. He sets out God's standards, and God's standards in marriage was that marriage is till death do you part. Then he said, then he goes on and he talks about because the question go back to the original question, and the original question is, is it all right if a man divorces his wife for any and every reason? And then he gives the reason why that Moses was permitted. He says Moses permitted divorce because of what? The hardness of your heart. That's why it was permitted, because of the hardness of your heart. There's a difference between uh, the thoughts of, Juda- the, of, of the Jews and Western Christianity. Jews have a tendency to deal with the situation at hand. We have a tendency to make everything black and white and don't have any room at all. And God is a God of grace. I do not, even though I have been divorced, I do not, I repeat, I am not a proponent of divorce simply because I know what it does, not only to the individuals involved, but to the family. I got firsthand experience at that. But I've also got firsthand experience with the grace of God. You see, sometimes divorce is necessary. And I can give you a a case right off the top of my head. The case right off the top of my head, if you're getting abused, if that person is abusing you, I, I I will drive you down to a lawyer and help you get one. Yes, because what does he say? His word is his word. Even in this chapter, his word even in this chapter is that God means for us to live in peace. That word peace comes from the word shalom, which means wholeness, health, and prosperity. He doesn't mean for us to live in a a situation where you're constantly being abused. And what he addresses in Matthew 19 is divorce that is not based on something that someone is doing to destroy you, 
but instead somebody taking advantage of divorce for their own selfish pleasures. You see what I'm saying? So, again, that's the word that, that, that he gives in marriage. And the overriding thing, and I'm a little long right now, is the overriding thing that you see is when you are saved, when God calls you and reveals himself to you and gives you eternal life, stay where you are. Stay where you are. That's the key. That is the key to this chapter. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to reread the chapter in prayer because marriage is a really, really important thing, and you hear you hear a lot of opinions about it and blah, 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 blah. We are not talking about marriage in the world. We're talking about the marriages of saints, those who are believers, okay? those are That's what he's talking about here. That's what Jesus refers to in 19. What they do out in the world and how they do it, that's their business. That's not our business. We're concerned about what goes on in the household of faith. Now, so what I want you to do is I want you to reread uh, Chapter 7, go through it with an eye toward stay where you are, and then read Matthew 19 and pray over that. Read Matthew 19 and pray over that. And that's going to give you some clarity in your marriage, in your marriage situations. I know a lot of you have been married for a long time and everything, you know, as they say, uh, yeah, we have marriage has a few ups and downs in it, but boredom ups are sweet and them downs can be brief. And God meant us to be married. Well, excuse me, let me say it the right way. God endorses marriage. God endorses marriage, and he honors marriage. Amen? So any other questions? I'm going to pray, and then I'll I'll ask it one more time. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name we come to say thank you, to bless you, to praise you, to give you the glory. We thank you, God, that that your word is practical, that your word requires us to just do more than, than, than... just have knee-jerk reactions to it. But we can come to you, and we can find grace, and we can find mercy in our time of need. And we can have conversations with you and say, I don't understand. Help me to understand. And you speak to us in a way that we do understand. So we bless you and we praise you. Tonight, again, we pray for all who are, who are out in that cold. We pray your mercy be upon them. We pray for all the helpers who help those who are out there. We pray your blessings be upon them. And we pray for those who are studying your word along with us tonight. We pray that they were helped, that they would be strengthened, that they would move toward even greater, greater blessings and greater works in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if that's all that we have tonight, I bless you and I praise you. Next week we'll be in... um, Chapter 8, and we'll keep going. We're plowing through. Have a wonderful evening. This has been Pastor Winfred Burns with the Word on Wednesday.